All right. So we're continuing our series then in uh, the Gospel according to John. As you can see, we're in the 29th week. We've been going week by week, just looking at what we read there. And you know, there's no book in the Bible that makes it so clear and so emphatic that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, in your place, you believe in that, you will be saved. You will be forgiven all your sins, past, present, future. The righteousness of God will be imputed to you and you will receive eternal life. The gospel is so clear. In fact, we're, we're having a baptism, as you know, today. And, uh, you know, some churches, they, they have weeks of classes before they will baptize someone. Weeks of classes. That was not how it was in the New Testament. In the New Testament, usually they got, they got baptized the same day they got saved. Amen. So when we baptize people, we ask one question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for you? If you say amen to that, if you put your trust in what he did, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we're going to continue this week and looking at a very important subject uh, in chapter 11 of John's Gospel. Um, for those that have been coming, you know that I've said that John writes the first half of his Gospel around seven miracles of Jesus, which he calls signs because they illustrate some aspect of our salvation. And today we come to the greatest miracle that he did and a very important aspect of our salvation. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, it wasn't the first time he raised people from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He raised the son of a widow uh, when they were on the way to burying the son. In the funeral procession, he stopped it and raised the son from the dead. But they were different because they were not yet buried. But this man had been in the tomb for four days and his body had started to decompose. And yet Jesus raised him from the dead, brought him back to life. And that illustrates a very important thing. And that is that, you know, a lot of people have been asking, is there life after death? You know, in the, the oldest book in the Bible, in the book of Job, Job asked the question, if a man die, will he live again? That's the most important question. Is there something beyond death? And the answer, of course, is Jesus comes back and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, he shall, he shall live again. Amen. And so we're going to look at that and, and, and just expand on that a little bit today. So let's get into um, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, we're going to learn some things about prayer here, as well as uh, resurrection and life. I love the way the sisters sent to Jesus. The first thing is they didn't say, he who loves you is sick. 
You know, God does not bless us on the basis of our love for him. Our love blows hot and cold. Let's be honest. Our love goes up and down and, and our love varies. But his love is constant. We've just been singing about that. The unfailing love of God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He loves you as much today as when he died in your place on the cross. He loves you and that love will never change. It's an unending love. And so they made their appeal on the basis of, of the love of Jesus for him, not his love for Jesus. God doesn't bless us because we're good. He blesses us because he is good. He's a good, good God and that never changes. So therefore they knew he would do the best for him and that's the basis for our prayer. We come in faith and confidence in who he is. He is a good God, he's a loving God, he's a faithful God, and as we've just heard earlier on, he's a prayer answering God as well. Now here's the second thing, instead of telling Jesus what to do, they told him of Lazarus's condition. They didn't say, you've got to come and you've got to heal him. We want you to come. They just said, he whom you love is sick. That's prayer, friends. You know, you listen to the prayers of some people and they think it's giving God instructions. What to do for the day? Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. They've got a prayer list, a, a, like a, um, you know, a wish list <laughs> and bring it to God. That's not prayer. It's bringing our needs to him. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Give them to him. Place them in his hand. I love what the psalmist said here. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's prayer. First of all, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Do it in faith and confidence and then rest in him. We don't have to keep on and on and on. We just rest and wait patiently for him. That's a demonstration of our faith. Now, Jesus assured the disciples when they heard that news about Lazarus, he assured the disciples that this sickness was not unto death, but for the glory of God. What did he mean? Well, of course, it would glorify God to raise someone from the dead, but Jesus actually didn't mean that. It was the raising of Lazarus that would ultimately lead to the cross when Jesus would be glorified. The, the raising of Lazarus caught, caused so much attention, so many be people believed in Jesus after that, and so many people were, were um, uh, stirred up to come and see even Lazarus, this man that, that attended his funeral four days earlier, now he's walking around again. They wanted to see him, and word got back to the Pharisees, and they were, they were concerned because people were looking to Jesus, and, and, and eventually they would arrest him and crucify him. And yet that would be the way that God would be glorified. That would be the way that Jesus would be glorified. There's nothing really that glorifies the Lord more than the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that his son was the one who went to the cross where we should have gone, took all our pain, all our suffering, all our sin upon himself, all our shame, took it to the cross and gave us his righteousness in exchange and and that's what glorifies God in fact in the next chapter we read Jesus saying the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified so that's what he was referring to this sickness is not under death it will lead to the son of man being glorified amen 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love that. You know, he didn't say Jesus, doesn't you say Jesus loved Lazarus? He loves every one of us individually. It's not like, you know, um, he just, you know, Christ loves the church. Yeah, that's collective, but he loves you. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So let's look at that. When, when God asks us to wait because he didn't go immediately, you'd think he would go immediately when he heard the news that Lazarus was sick, but he waited two days. And then it was a journey to get there. And, and the time he got there it was four days and Lazarus had been dead four days. But when God asks us to wait, it's a sign that he intends to bless, but in his own way. Many people think that God doesn't answer prayer because he doesn't do it in their way. But we bring our need to him, as we said earlier, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, wait upon him, rest in him. It's a sign that he intends to bless us, but in his own way. Delay is not God saying no to our prayers. It's just saying, I've got it. And I'll answer it in my way. I'm Lord, remember? Jesus stayed two more days where he was, then went to Judea. This was not seen as wise by the disciples because they were aware of the danger that he and they would be in. He would be arrested and they were with him. They would be in danger too of being put to death. And they knew also he could have raised Lazarus from a distance. He'd done that before. He, had to, he sent his word and healed people. He didn't need to be in the presence of that one. But Jesus knew what he was doing. Everything was under control. Now, he said this, are there not 12 days, uh, 12 hours, sorry, in a day? 12 hours when, when we can walk around, it's light, and, and we can see where we're going. And what Jesus was saying is this, each one of us, each one of us have been given an amount of time by God on this earth. Our times are in his hands. Amen. It cannot be lengthened or shortened by us, by others or by Satan. Amen. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I've got the keys of death and hell. I've got the keys. I'm Lord of that domain. Nobody can take your life from you. You will not die prematurely because our lives are in his hands. Now, Jesus was doing his father's will. Therefore, there is nothing he needed to fear. He said, I'm here to, to do the will of the father. I'm walking in the light. And so it's okay. It's in his time, all things will unfold. And when we walk according to our own will and our ways, we, we walk in darkness. That's what that means. We may stumble over things that we didn't see there. But when we come into the light, when we come into Jesus, we walk in the light and our lives are in his hands. They're in his care. We can rest in that. Okay, let's move on. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, 
but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Look at that. Now, here's the, this is a wonderful thing. Lazarus was not dead, according to Jesus, but sleeping. This is a wonderful word that we see so many times in the New Testament now concerning when, when, when a believer dies, the term that is used is that they are sleeping, not, not dead. Because when we, we hear the word death, we think of what? That's the end. It's all over. Cessation of being. We've ceased to be. But we're not. We're sleeping. That's a beautiful word. It's a picture of the state of those who are dead in Christ. And, and I want to share with you some reasons for that. You look at the analogy between the two. First of all, sleep is a friend, not a foe. It is to me anyway. <laughs> I love sleep. Anybody else here love sleep? I love sleep. Best part of the day when I can get into bed. <laughs> sleep is a friend because we're tired, we've worked hard, and, and we want to just rest and go to sleep and recuperate. And it's like that with death. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. The sting of death, the Bible says, is what? Sin. The strength of sin is the law. But Jesus has taken the sting out of death. Because when, when we die and we face God, there is no sin that we have to give account for. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, all your sin has been imputed to Jesus. The sting of death is sin. And that's been taken out. I, I, you've heard me tell a story of a, a man that was driving along in the car and his daughter was with him. And this bee flew in, in the window, through the open window into the car. And the daughter had an allergy for bee stings. They could prove fatal. And so when she saw the, the bee in the car, she started you know, jumping around and like moving around, trying to avoid the bee. And the father was driving along and with one hand, he just grabbed the bee like that and just held it. And then after a while, he let it go again and, and it started buzzing around and she started panicking. He said, it's okay. Its sting is gone. He stung me. That's a beautiful picture. He can't harm you. And that's the same with death. Death is not our enemy. It cannot hurt us. It cannot uh, bring us to an end of being. The sting has been taken out. Praise God. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. In fact, Paul says, death is ours. Death is ours. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the means by which we leave this environment and we go to be with the Lord. We've got to die to go to be with you. Know, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> we have to die to go to heaven. And that's the means by which we go there. Praise God. You know, I, I heard a story of a man who... Uh, his, his couple, his, their, their daughter was dying. Um, she had a terminal Ill, illness and she was dying. She was going to die. And they were, they were comforting her and consoling her about, about death itself. 
and, and the, 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 the man explained death this way. He said, you know what's going to happen? Is when you leave this world, you're going to go through a door. And when you get through that door, you're going to see grandma and grandpa there and many others that you knew that have also gone. You're going to see them all there and you're going to look behind you and you're going to see mum and dad coming through that door as well because time is meaningless. It's, it's, it's without limit. We can't measure. It's measureless. And you'll, you'll see all your loved ones coming there and joining you. And most of all, you're going to see Jesus there. Death is our friend. It's not our foe. Paul says to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. In fact, he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is what? Much better. Much better. You believe that? Okay, who wants to go first? <laughs> well, we go in his time. We go in his time, but there's nothing to fear when that moment comes. Praise God. Jesus has triumphed over death. Here's another thing. In sleep, we lie down to rise again. It's a brief duration. Then we awake and rise to a new day. That's, what, that's how it is in the natural. It's like that in the spiritual. This is what Daniel said. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, some people might say, well, look at what Daniel said there. Those who sleep in the dust. You know, when, you, when, when you know, we bury someone, we say, Earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. So Daniel wrote that 2,600 years ago. Think of all the bodies that have died, all the believers that have died. What would their bodies be? Dust. You think, you know, how, how could God raise those back to life again? A couple of things. First thing is this. You know, scientists can recreate a whole body with one single cell. Because the DNA of that body is fully contained in that one cell. They can recreate a whole body from just one cell. Amen? Secondly, how did God create the body in the beginning? From the dust. From the dust. <laughs> so Paul says to Agrippa, who was a king who, who didn't believe in the resurrection, he said, why should it be thought incredible by you, King Agrippa, that God would raise the dead. God who created this universe, put everything in its place, you know, billions or trillions of galaxies, just flung them in their places. Why, why would it be thought in, incredible that he would raise the dead? That's what happens in sleep, in death. We, we lie down, we go to sleep as it were, and we will be raised. The next thing, Sleep is a time of inactivity. In the book of Revelation, we read, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow. And that's why Jesus said, let's work while it's day. Twelve hours, you know, in light. Let's do what we can while we're here. Let's, let's not think that, you know, life's one big holiday here. Let's, let's work. Let's take these opportunities. The night comes when no man can work. So then when we die, it's this time of inactivity, which the Bible calls rest, resting from all our labors. This applies only to the intermediate state between this life and the resurrection. That's a time of rest. When we receive our glorified bodies, 
there will be new ministries, but without tiredness. You ever thought of that? Look at what it says in Revelation 22. It's amazing. I've been talking to a lot of people recently. They've been reading these chapters, so many. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We will serve God. I don't know how. I don't know why, but throughout eternity, there have been incredible opportunities to serve God throughout the universe and whatever he has planned for us, but it will be without getting tired. There'll be no weariness like we get tired from service now. Here's another thing about sleep. Sleep shuts out the sufferings of life. Now, when you go to sleep, things are going on in the world and you're not aware of them. Who remembers 9-11? Um, who remembers getting up in the morning, maybe turning the TV on and seeing the news and all that had gone on while we were sleeping and that side of the world? Who remembers that? And, and, and that's what happened every day. You go to sleep, people, many things are happening. Terrorist attacks, people are dying, you know, accidents, tsunamis, earthquakes. All this is going on and you're oblivious. Now that's what it's like when someone leaves this world. I, I bet you they're glad about that. They're free from all the sufferings of this world. They've got no knowledge of what's going on. You know, some people, they, they say, oh, you know, someone's up there and he's looking down on us. That's a load of nonsense, friends. Nobody's up there looking down, having a beer, looking down on us, you know. They're, they're, they've left this life. They're oblivious to what is now happening. They can't see you. <laughs> Don't think that, you know, that kind of thing is going on. It's not. They can't visit you. They're, they've left, their time has ceased in this, this time on earth and they've gone to be with the Lord, which is much better. They wouldn't want to come back and they're not aware of the sufferings that are going on in this life. Now, this doesn't mean that the believer who passes away is unconscious. Some people teach that. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But that they know nothing of the tears which are shed on earth or the troubles that are being experienced here. Next thing. To raise the dead, which Jesus will do, will be to him like arousing a sleeper. One can do that with just a voice. Is that true? I remember when I was in Bible college, you know, I, I have trouble sleeping unless I'm in my bed. I can't sleep in a car, I can't sleep in a plane. You know, I envy those people that can do that. I remember, uh, you know, once uh, when I was in Bible college, we had a minibus and we would go you know, to another city to minister to about 12 students. And I'd be sitting there, be, you know, coming back maybe after the meeting at night and we'd travel through the night and look around and everyone would be asleep except for me. And I used to just, you know, go to this, wake this person and say, hey, hey, yeah? I'd say, it's going to be a long trip. I'd get some sleep if I was you. <laughs> I can't stand it when other people are sleeping and I'm awake. But, you know, you raise people by just doing something like that, just shouting. You know, you've had to call your kids, get up, time to go to school, get up. And they're awake and, and hopefully they get up. It's like that with Jesus. The Bible, Jesus said, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear what? His voice. And come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Paul said, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Just a shout and all the saints will rise again. 
Incredible thing, eh? And then, sixthly, during sleep, the body is refreshed and ready for what lies before us. And in a similar way, the resurrected believer will be endued with new power. You know, the limitations of this mortal body will no longer exist. This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. We will have a body like unto his glorious body. The body that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. Isn't that amazing? That which is sown in weakness will be raised in power. This is what this resurrection of Lazarus is illustrating. And Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. When, Je when Lazarus died. Why would he say that? Well, if he were there, Lazarus would not have died. The miracle would have been a healing, not a resurrection. No one ever died in the presence of Jesus. You know that? You go through all the scriptures, no one ever died in his presence. He is the Prince of Life. We read that in Acts 3 verse 15, the Prince of Life. When he came into the presence of death, it fled before him. Even the two thieves who were crucified with him died after he had given up his spirit. Because the Bible says that, you know, that one of the things they used to do was to break the leg of those that were crucified, break the leg so that that would hasten their death. They couldn't continue to lift themselves up to breathe. And, and, and they broke the leg, legs of the two thieves because they hadn't died. But when they came to Jesus, they noticed that what? He was already dead. Nobody ever died in the presence of Jesus because he's the Prince of Life. So he said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. It would not have been a resurrection, but a, just a healing. Not that that's just a healing, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. But here's the other thing. He was glad because the miracle would strengthen the faith of the disciples and the sisters of Lazarus at a crucial time. Jesus was now going to be crucified. They would be devastated. Be like the bottom of the world had fallen out because they still would not understand all that was going on, that he would rise from the dead three days later. And, and the fact that they'd seen this powerful resurrection would strengthen them for what was coming ahead of them. And God does that in our lives. You know, we were singing something there, I forget what it was, but it reminded me of, um, you know, uh, what, some, some great things that God had done in my life and, and how those things really strengthened me and prepared me for what was ahead. God, God will bless you and do some wonderful things, answer prayers and prove himself to you in a mighty way and is often to prepare you for what is to come, to strengthen your faith in him. Okay, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Lazarus was already dead 
for four days and was buried because of the heat, you know, in those days, uh, especially in that part of the world, they usually, I think they do even today in some countries, bury them the same day they die because of the heat. And there will be professional mourners there. They will be wailing and, and, and crying excessively. And all this commotion will be going on. Others will be mourning for the family. And this mourning lasted several days. They'll be coming and going. People would come and pay their respects and so on. And this would, all this would be going on. Now, the rabbis believed that a dead person's soul hovered around the tomb for three days, hoping to return to the body. But then, after the three days when decomposition began to set in, the soul departed. Then, of course, that was a superstition, and Jesus was aware of this superstition, so he left it four days. So that they could not even say, oh, well, this is what we believe, you know, that the soul just came back, it wasn't Jesus. And he raised this decomposing body back to life again, fullness of health and strength. Martha showed her disappointment that Jesus did not come straight away, but she expressed her faith in him. I love that. You don't always understand what God is doing. But you don't have to lose faith because you don't understand. We don't have to understand before we believe. We just have to know what God is saying, know who he is, and our faith is in him and in his word. Even if we don't understand, not in our understanding, our ability to understand. She said, Lord, if you'd been here, this is the way I would have done it. I would have raised him from the dead. You could have raised him from the dead. But even now I believe that whatever you say, you will have. She put her faith in Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am, oops, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha, like the Pharisees, believed in a general resurrection. It's, it's interesting when you, you look at Martha's faith, she believed in what Jesus could have done in the past. If you'd been here, you could have raised him, you could have healed him. He wouldn't have died. And then she believed what he would do in the future. Yeah, I believe that, you know, in the last day he will be raised again. Jesus tried to get her focus on what he was going to do now. The fact that he's present with her now. And I've said this before, if you look at the statement of faith in most of our churches, probably including our own, you'll find many things that we believe that Jesus did in the past and many things that we believe he's going to do when he returns and so on in the future. But we need present tense grace, present tense faith. He's with us today. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not that I'm going to raise him. I didn't say that. It's, it's who I am and I'm with you. I am the resurrection and the life. Why did he say those two things? Resurrection, because our mortal life will come to an end. There's one part of us that's not yet redeemed and that's our body. We're waiting for the redemption of our body and it's a mortal body. We will die. We will die in this life if Jesus doesn't come back before. But 
Jesus will raise us from the dead because he is the resurrection. Amen? And not only is he the resurrection, he's the life. And that means because when we are raised from the dead, we will have immortality. It's a gift that will be given to us. We will never die again. He is the life. So, so we, uh, we'll never know corruption. We'll never know mortality. Those things will be gone. In fact, in the Greek, it's a double negative. We shall never, never die. That's what Jesus was saying. When, when I've raised you from the dead, you will never, never die. You will have eternal life. He asked Martha if she believed this. Her answer revealed that she believed that he was the Messiah and the Son of God. You know, maybe she was saying, look, I'm getting my head around this. I don't know whether I believe this now, but what I do believe is you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was spoken about by the prophets for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and you are God manifest in the flesh. I believe that. You're the Son of God. Let's finish by just quoting Charles Spurgeon then. This, this, this last sign of Jesus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, is a wonderful picture of what God is going to do in our lives. There is life beyond death. Jesus is the resurrection and he's the life. And those who are raised from the dead will never, never die again. Charles Spurgeon said this, those who believe in Jesus Christ appear to die, but yet they live. They are not in the grave. They are forever with the Lord. The separation of the body and the soul. The soul goes to be with the Lord. They are not unconscious. They are with their Lord in paradise. In a conscious state, which is far better than what it is here, Paul said. Death cannot kill a believer. It can only usher him into a freer form of life. And then he said this, death comes to the ungodly man as a penal infliction, but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. Hallelujah. I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he's the resurrection and the life? If you do, you've got nothing to fear about death. Nothing to fear at all. In fact, it would be your friend it will take you to a far better place where we will all be eventually with the Lord. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, there's not a better time than now to put your trust in him. Just to say in your heart, yes, Lord, I believe you died for me and I trust you with my life. I trust you, Lord, that your, my sins were laid on you. You died in my place and I'm forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage in which we see another demonstration of the glory of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Lord, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He rose from the dead, never to die again, with a body which is like the body we will have, a glorious body, indestructible, incorruptible, immortal. And Father, we thank you that that is our hope. We fix our hope and our trust, our confidence on the word of God. We know that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. We thank you, Lord, for this great salvation. 
We pray, Lord, that you just bless us now as we fellowship together and as we go to the baptism soon, we pray that uh, it will be just a wonderful, joyous occasion where we'll experience more and more of your love and your grace flowing through our lives in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Amen.